Counselor Accents Podcast. Two school counselors who love their jobs. Oh, and they happen to have Southern accents too. Bless their hearts. I'm Laura Rancourt. And I am Kim Crumbly. And together we are Counselor Accents. And I'm excited today, Laura. You're always excited. Um, well, but I'm excited. You. Thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> I'm more excited. You know, you make fun of me for all the jobs that I've had, but today's conversation is a product of one of those jobs. And I'm very excited to have a longtime friend. Joseph Roberts is with us and he used to be a yearbook advisor when I was a yearbook rep for a company. And when I would go visit his school, I would always plan in a little bit of extra time in my day because I knew that we would have these fantastic conversations. And now he, I'm not surprised by this, but he is a motivational speaker and doing wonderful things. Joseph, please introduce yourself to our listeners. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Um, I, first, I just want to thank uh, both of you guys for having me on. And um, it's an, a privilege and an honor just to be able to share with other educators, people who have dedicated their lives to, to making sure that our young people get what they deserve. And so... Um, just glad to be a part of uh, the podcast. Um, and I've seen other people, guests you've had on here, so I'm honored <laughs> to be a part of uh, that list. But I uh, just appreciate having you, both of you guys having me on. And uh, even before we started recording, it's already been hilarious. So I'm looking <laughs> forward to this. <laughs> but uh, I've been a teacher for about 17 years, and, uh, and I'm uh, the husband of one wife. Gonna keep it that way. <laughs> and I have two daughters. <laughs> uh, one is 13 and one is 10. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. I actually have a house full of women. I also have two dogs, both of them as well female. So oh, wow. <laughs> you are completely outnumbered. You are a lucky man. You lucky, lucky man. <laughs> I am. I am. So tell us a little bit about how you got started on your current journey and, and what you're doing now. Okay. Uh, before, before I start there, I have a couple of questions for you guys. If that's Ooh, okay. Pop quiz. <laughs> uh, well, some questions slash comment for Kim. Um, please, please elaborate on uh, the plane crash in your yard. <laughs> I, I can't, I can't go on until we address this. This is, this is epic, and I, I, I don't understand. I'm confused. I just, I, I, <laughs> I could, I could tell you stories all day long, Joseph. Because she makes them up. Lives. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> when I was about, I don't know, you know, it's the year Greece came out. I think I'm going to give my age away here. So it was the grease came out and I remember that, but uh, my mother had fixed pancakes and it was a Saturday and we were all sitting around and we, this airplane was, was low. It, you know, it just seemed like it was really low. And so mm -hmm. we went out and, and I could see the pilot. So, you know, I want to entertain and I am making faces <laughs> and I'm jumping up and down and to my chagrin, uh, my shenanigans, I hope, did not uh, cause him <laughs> to crash. But God rest his soul. <laughs> just, just, oh, did he die? No, he's 
No, he did not die. Then don't say God rest his soul. I know that. I was trying to make it funnier, but there it was. It was. Uh, two, I think it was two people in the plane, and my cousin who was with us, uh, mm. and he was a teenager. He pulled them out of the burning plane, and uh, that that is a true story. And wow. Uh, and so that I had, I then from then on, I keep, I have this reoccurring dream that a plane is, is crashing. It, you know, wow. I keep having this reoccurring dream, but I have never been on a small plane. I will ride in a large plane, but I will not be in a small plane. I bet plane. you won't. I bet you won't. <laughs> Thank you, that Joseph, for asking crazy. about, I love to tell stories and that's a real story, but I love to tell stories. <laughs> it, that's crazy. That's unbelievable. That's good stuff. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just couldn't go on without that. I, I had to know the rest of it. You just mentioned it in passing. I'm like, you cannot mention things like that in passing. So oh, it, I, was I'm, I'm it was a big news story too. So that was exciting. We had all the new, you know, we had all the news people. So we can go out. back to what, 1957 and pull the you art. You know what, Laura? That's hurtful. <laughs> <laughs> The only thing that got me out of my despair was going to see Greece is the word, is the word, is the word. Oh, that's how you remember when that was. That's great. That's right. Okay. You made her whole day. Um, so that that was that. Um, I'm glad I know about the tornado magnet as well. So I, I, I will be friends with you, but I will keep my distance, Kim. Just want to be clear. Yeah. Um, and then, Laura, you, you never shared with me the dolphin call. I feel oh. hurt that oh. we go, we went so many years and, yeah. and I missed out on this dolphin call. Yes. So I was hoping I could get a live one. Oh, of course. Let me move this microphone. Oh, jeez. <laughs> You're just jealous. <laughs> You're jealous. Let's see. Airplane crash, dolphin call. Mm. I'm, I know. I know. Um, and I will say, I, I feel like I need to practice. It's early morning. I'm not used to being up this early. So um, this may be a practice one. <clears throat> Are you okay? Are you choking? <laughs> I don't understand how one discovers their dolphin call prowess i, I don't really understand. don't either i really don't either all right well i don't remember uh, how I, it happened but it's because I, i've never accidentally dolphin called so i don't i don't really you know i'm just trying to understand the process but uh that's that's great all right that's all i wanted <laughs> I, you guys are good now <laughs> all right so you were asking me uh, about me and uh i, I kind of want to start earlier um you know part of Part of uh, my passion and and part of what makes me an educator and, and speaker has a lot to do with uh, my early life. And so I want to sort of talk a little bit about that. And to be honest, my first memory um, is of me outside playing. Um, we were in North Carolina at the time, um, just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And it's evening. The sun is almost set. It's getting dark. And I just remember these uh, sort of like an ember color, amber colored, what, I didn't know what it was, um, but it was, it was calming. It was nice. It was uh, enjoyable. And my father was in a circle with some of his friends. And I remember seeing that amber, ember sort of colored thing going around. And, and I'm talking with my friends and having a good time. And we're all just outside in a, in a, in a, uh, a late evening, really enjoying ourselves. 
So it's not a negative thought. It's really a calming, positive thought. Um, but the problem is what was happening, I later found out, was uh, my father was, uh, was smoking weed with his friends. And I guess at the time I was around there, I was about four years old. Oh, and, wow. and so that's the, the first uh, memory that I can remember. Um, it still doesn't have a negative effect on me. It doesn't feel negative. It still feels positive because I was having a good time and um, it just was a, a calming atmosphere. But it was the beginning really of the rest of my life. Um, my father's uh, struggle with, with drugs. And uh, so anyway, so that's, that's my first memory. Uh, fast forward a few years and, and now um, I have a younger brother. He's six years younger than I. And uh, my father's drug use has continued. Um, he hasn't been able to stop. Um, he really kind of picked the habit up in, um, in Vietnam. And, uh, but because it um, continued, um, my mother and him were, would fight often, um, argue more than fight, but physically fought as well. And so I remember a, a specific time um, they were fighting and it sounded really bad. And they had gone into the room and closed the door. Uh, we lived in a tiny, and when I say tiny, tiny two bedroom, one bath apartment. Um, when I was thinking about it, I was like, I think almost every room in the house touched our bathroom. <laughs> oh, wow. There was a wall or an entrance to almost every, from every room to that one bathroom. That's how small this place was. Um, and, uh, and I remember them fighting and us hearing thuds and screams and whatever from the room. And I guess eventually he had her in some sort of hold or something. I don't know what was happening because the door was closed. And I just remember my brother and I standing at the door and I remember how hard my heart was beating. And I remember how much adrenaline was pumping. And I remember wanting to protect my brother. And I remember he got so angry, he took his shoe off and he threw it at the door and was yelling at the door. And so, you know, when, when people talk about trauma in younger lives and when people talk about, uh, you know, the need of SEL nowadays and how important that is for our young people, I understand on a personal level. And, um, and, and when I have students who come into my classroom and now um, to me as an alternative school teacher, I have a better understanding of what, what it is that they're feeling, what they're going through, because I literally went through some of the same things. So that was what a little bit of what home life was like. Um, my father then left for a while to go get better work, um, to try to make more money. And as a result of that, the marriage just fully de deteriorated. And he's decided after doing nothing in the other city for a while to come back home. And my mom said, uh, she wasn't going to be here when he got home. So in a couple days notice, we had to grab all of the things that we owned, pack them in the car and leave before my father got there. So this is just adding to all of the things that I have going on in my life. I'm being uprooted in the middle of the school year from my school. Um, I'm running uh, from my father. <laughs> wow. um, I'm concerned for my mother's safety. Um, and so we just had to go and hide somewhere. We went up somewhere in Georgia. I was, we were living in Huntsville at the time now. And we went and hid somewhere at a friend's house in Georgia and we wouldn't answer his calls. We wouldn't talk to him for two or three days. And then eventually we went all the way up to back to North Carolina and stayed in this uh, old beat up house that uh, my grandfather owned. And, uh, and that was the beginning of, uh, of their divorce. So 
there was a lot of turmoil in the beginning parts of my life. That was about the middle of sixth grade. And, uh, and so, you know, it, it, number one, gave me a passion for, for knowing that there are kids uh, who need our help, who are going through things at home that um, they can't help, that they can't decipher, that they don't know how to find their way in, and, and who's going to be there for them, who's going to guide them, who's going to direct them, who's going to uh, support them. So it gave me a passion for that. And, and the fact that my father's drug habit um, blossomed and got worse, as they often do, and eventually it upgraded to, uh, to crack cocaine, um, also made me um, have a heart for people who are going through the same type of situations. And so, so that's sort of a rundown of, of my, my younger years. <laughs> uh, now, the flip side of that is, you know, that one, you know, recognizing all the pain and the suffering that I was going through um, as a young person really pushed me to completely uh, turn down any kind of uh, libations at all. Um, I refused to drink. I refused to smoke cigarettes. I refused to smoke anything. I just, you know, I didn't want this, uh, what my father had happened to him. I didn't want that to happen to me. And I didn't want it to happen to my family. And so I just completely uh, decided against that. And, um, and then I, I said I was going to make a better life for myself. And so I, um, I was able to finish college. And uh, so I, I was very excited about that. And I got an education degree. And, uh, and then as a result of that, I was able to teach at my alma mater. I was able to teach for a year in Bermuda. Uh, yes, I know a lot of people say, why did you ever leave Bermuda? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I was able to teach in Bermuda for a year. That was great and enjoyable, but I came back and I got married. Um, then I um, was also the program director for a nonprofit. I, um, it's a nonprofit that I got involved with um, that fed starving children around the world and did ministry as well. And so I did that for two and a half years. We would drive around the country doing fundraising and training uh, the college students. And then we flew them over, uh, the time that I went, we flew them over to Zambia, Africa. And we stayed there for five weeks and we built an aid center. We, um, at night we would minister and then during the day we would feed people as well. So I was a part of that for two and a half years. And then I came back to the United States um, after that. and. Uh, went back into education. And so now that I've been in education about 17 years now, um, I have, uh, I'm starting to do uh, speaking. Well, I've been doing that, but I've been doing speaking. Um, I also uh, do um, breakout sessions and training uh, for educators, but for anybody who works with youth, I've done some with the Boys and Girls Club, anybody who's working with trying to make young people better. And, uh, so I'm excited on that, that path that I'm on. Um, currently, I am uh, the teacher in the alternative school at Liberty in Madison. And um, I love that change, man. I, I requested to be pulled out of the classroom and put in this particular position because I feel like I wanted to work with those who needed the most help. And so for alternative school, it really, um, you know, they take the people who have been struggling, um, who have, um, you know, are almost on their way out of the school. And um, so they give them to me. And um, I have an opportunity to, um, 
discuss with them how to work through their problems, talk with them about their behavior, uh, give them some social emotional learning, um, and then help them with their schoolwork as well. I think there's a really innovative way that, that uh, Madison has chosen to do it. And for um, middle school and below, they've chosen to, to house the alternative schools inside the same building as the school so that the teachers can still interact with the students on a day-to-day -day basis or on a weekly basis. So that way the transition back into class will be smoother and they will uh, in, uh, you know, already know their teacher rather than come from somewhere across town and have to reestablish themselves with um, their teacher and with um, how things work at school. So I love that. I do that. Uh, you've mentioned I do some uh, motivational speaking and facilitating. I'm also a radio host. <laughs> the list sounds like a lot when, I, when I'm saying it. But um, there is a radio program that uh, Minister Fred started, and it's a clean and Christian hip-hop radio program. And it's on the, um, the largest um, hip-hop station in Huntsville, uh, WIA. Oh, so wow. we've been doing that about four years now. And um, I do a little motivational piece on there. And then, of course, we have all kinds of discussions about um, what's going on in the community and ways we can impact that. And then, you know, we play clean or and or Christian hip hop music. And so I do that as well. Um, and then um, one of the things I, I really enjoy that I've been doing lately is I volunteer for an organization that is in the same neighborhood that my father used to purchase his crack from. And I'm wow. sure it wasn't just the location, but there is a specific neighborhood that I know he um, used to purchase some of his drugs from. And so now I'm in that same neighborhood um, volunteering for a, a mentoring group there. And so I'm really happy uh, to be a part of that too. So my hands are full with that and my two yeah. daughters and everything else, but uh, I am, I'm doing all this because it brings me fulfillment and it makes me feel like I am um, reaching out to those people that were similar to me, similar to me in my background. Joseph, I am, I don't mean to interrupt you in this flow, but I am, so this is so interesting to me and this is something that Laura and I talk about a lot because um, we deal with students who have backgrounds and they've experienced a lot of trauma or they've ex you know they've experienced some things and when i was listening to you i was just thinking you've got abuse you've got drug use you have uh there's divorce there's um all of these things that were going on what was it that changed you what was the factor i, I can tell you're a man of faith um <laughs> But what was that? What made you come out of that? Because so many times we see children who just stay in that same cycle. How did you break out of the cycle? I, I really have to credit both my parents. Um, you know, as, as much as my father did to damage and to um, and to break apart my family, he um, there were so many things he did that um, also helped to uh, to help me not follow the same path that he did. Um, and to this day. He and I are great friends now. <laughs> he and I get along great. We talk all the time. He visits all the time. He's great with my grandkids. Like all that's, you know, in the past now. Um, I definitely believe faith had a large part to do with it. And I'll, and I'll give you two reasons why. Uh, number one, just because it taught me that people can go from 
one lifestyle and one way of thinking and can grow. And so when you're in church, you see over and over people go from this lifestyle and change their behavior and go to this lifestyle. So you're watching people be transformed over and over and over again. And that plays on your mind to say, oh, it's possible for me. Wherever I am in life, that means that I can also transform. I can also grow. I can also develop. And so seeing that pattern over and over and over again begins a, to put a belief in you. And the second thing that it does, if you are a, a continual churchgoer or if you're involved heavily as we were um, in, in religious activities and, and, and events, then you are, I was constantly put in the presence of people who had already achieved greater. So instead of my circle of friends being um, people who hadn't made it, people who were stuck in poverty, people who were still, who thought that that lifestyle of drugs and, and, and crime and whatever else was uh, enjoyable way of life. My circle was made up of middle class and upper middle class uh, church going people who all had degrees and, 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 and terminal degrees and who had these nice homes and had all the things that I didn't have. But going to a church put me in an environment where all the people around me had those things. And it made me believe that that was possible for me as well. So that the environment that it put me in um, really had a lot to do with it. And at home, my parents weren't just people that just took you to church or just involve you. They, you know, they were having worship at home. They were teaching us right from wrong. They were involving us in as many ways as possible. So I began to understand, okay, there are right choices and wrong choices. I am living the, the list of wrong choices. I don't want any of those. I want only uh, the right choices. And so um, that definitely had a huge part to play. And, and I think environment, um, the environment I was placed in really, really mattered. Which is why I'm such a proponent of, of, of education. I think that, that teachers and counselors and, and even the staff in schools, I believe, can provide the same type of environment. They still can be in the view of a child and show them that there are other ways, there are other results. I, I believe a lot of times, our young people that come to us in our schools don't change because they don't see a future. They don't see it possible. Everybody around them doesn't have a future or has a future that leads to uh, prison or death or, or, or something similar. And so when you talk to them about uh, doing their schoolwork so that they can have a better future, when you talk to them about behaving themselves so they can have a better future, there is no future they see. So they, they, they feel like you're asking them to waste their time. And showing them by our behavior, by interactions, by, by involving them in things outside of school as well, to show them that there is a possible future for them, I think, really begins to get, open their minds to accept and believe the things that we're asking them to do. That is so practical, Joseph. That's the rubber meets the road that we're talking about. My next, you answered my next question mm. in a way that I didn't think about. But my question was going to be, what do we do as school counselors to help students who are living in situations that, you know, might cause trauma or they're, you know, they have some PTSD or, um, and, and I think Laura, what, what I'm pulling from this is we need to take time to show them. And, and you know, we've talked about this before. We need to show them that there is things past their vision, past, past what they're living in, or they they have those opportunities. So we need to practically show students other options or, or, or think greater 
than that growth mindset of you can have more than what you are surrounded by. Am I on the right track with that, Joseph? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It, you should you're see frozen. the look. Joseph, you are frozen. I cannot see your facial, so I couldn't tell if I really was on right track or not. We didn't want to interrupt you because it was so good. It was so, it was amazing. You've been frozen. So I don't know if we want to fix it or just. Oh, I, I don't know how to fix it. And I saw that I was frozen too. <laughs> okay. Oh, good. No, I would keep going because it is, it's just powerful and I, it's just really powerful and it's helping me so much. And I, okay. I know it's going to help other listeners. So back to my question, Joseph, are we okay. on the right path when we help students to see something more than what they're living in now? And that's very hard to do. It is. It is it, hard to do. I, I absolutely believe, well, I, I'll start with this. When I share with students, what some of what I shared with you, everything changes. Wow. Everything changes. Every, everything I say to them changes. Their whole, if, if, if you've been teaching long enough, um, you, you read children's faces, okay? Now, I, I know how to read people's faces and read people's body language because of my trauma, okay? So I had to be good at reading body language in my household before I determined whether or not somebody was gonna get punched or whether or not somebody was gonna get cussed out or what was gonna be happening. So I became too good at reading body language and facial expressions because I can, now it's to the point where in the in a room or in a classroom, I can tell if there's a fight about to happen when it hasn't happened yet. It's almost like I have a spidey sense now, but it's only just because I had to heighten my skills for survival. It was an extreme version of it. So, but if you haven't done that as a teacher, as a, a counselor, as, as someone involved with young people, you've got to learn how to read people's faces and and so their face completely changes towards me. It begins to, they begin to look at me as a mentor rather than a teacher just trying to push work on them. They begin to look to, up to me as someone that they can lean on rather than someone that um, is, is there to, to cause them pain. Now, everybody doesn't have that story, but my point is anytime a child sees someone who used to be one way and used to experience one thing and then now transitioned out of that and quote unquote made it, not made it as in wildly successful, but is no longer living that lifestyle anymore, means the world to them. But you need to see that more than one time. So whether that's videos on YouTube, whether that's people that you tell them they can go and follow, uh, whether that is uh, people that you can bring in, whether that's other staff and people that you can find there to just come in and talk for a minute or to get to know them and, and connect them with, uh, community members, uh, pastors, and anybody from the community that can do that, they need to see it more than once. And here's why. And as a counselor, and, and for those of you listening, you're, you're going to completely agree with this. We think the way we think because of how many times we've heard that. If you have negative self-thoughts, those didn't come internally from you when you were born. You heard them from other people around you. you. They were said to you, they were said around you, and over thousands and thousands of times of hearing those and being around those, you adopted them. So if we're going to change the way people, young people feel about their hope for a future, you can't bring one person in and be like, all right, that should do it. All right. Uh, now go on, Sonny. And go on, young lady. You, you, got, you got this covered. No, you've got to bring in five, 10 or expose them through the internet and YouTube and wherever else to five, 10, 15, 20, 30, so that the number is so overwhelming to them that they will say, 
I think this is possible for me too. This is not an anomaly. That wasn't a special person. They just didn't luck out and things happened. Um, so that would be my suggestion. Yeah, my, my mind is going in a thousand directions. I know yours is too with this. I mean, are you just like, do you see why he's our kind of people? Do you see why I said that? Well, it, it, exactly, because um, I'm just taking notes like crazy and I just wrote expose, expose, expose to what is possible. Yeah. And I think the practicality of how can we do that? Because, you know, um, you're right. Um, it needs to be more than just one time. And, and so I, I had not thought of it that way. I and so either. exposing and bringing in people and, and, it, and they can connect with, with these stories. And I have, yes. I, I, my school is a very impoverished, it is the poorest school in our County. And wow. uh, some of the issues that the kids deal with, uh, I, it's just really not all of them, but a lot of a, a, a majority of them, they can't see past those conditions. And so my mind is just for this next year, I'm just thinking it's going to take more than one time. They've got to see there is something more. And, and this is how, these are some steps I can do to get out of this situation that I'm not, I don't always have to live in this. So I, I'm taking yeah. notes like crazy. I, I, one of the things that I do with uh, the young people that I work with is that I help them assess themselves and figure out what it is that they want to work on. And then I, and then we create uh, an affirmation or we create a positive statement about that particular thing. And, um, and then I have them repeat that like to themselves over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, because once again, we're battling numbers here. It's really, you know, I was a math teacher for years. And so it's a numbers game here. How many times a day, have I for the last, how old are they, you know, let's say they're in fifth grade for the last 11 years, how many times a day have I told myself I can't make it and I'm not, I'm not worth anything and I'm not valuable. And how many times besides, you know, my family members telling me that my older brothers and sisters telling me that. So now I've got to try to catch up. So when I say I am valuable and I am worth it or whatever the specific wording, I even let them use curse words, like whatever it is they have to do to make that thing emphatic and make themselves believe in that statement. I let them say that. And then they have to repeat themselves that to themselves as many times as possible as they can throughout the day. And when I see them and when we talk, we talk about the phrase and bring it up and I check on them. Have you been using it? Because that's how you turn the tide. In other words, that's really how you change any particular part of yourself. If you want to change a long-standing view you've had, you've got to work it into your life so that it happens more often than the opposite thought you used to have. And so that's something that you can do that's not bringing someone else in. It's just beginning to work on their own internal voice and help the, the, that internal voice to, instead of been speaking negativity, as it has been for all the years um, that they've been alive, it begins to speak uh, hope and positivity and, and, and truth. And of course, they're not going to believe it at first. And you have to address that, that you're not saying this, that uh, because you believe it, you're saying this because it's true. And eventually you'll begin to believe it. And so that I've had some, uh, some success with that as well. Well, and how empowering that must be for the students, because it's not somebody else doing the work for them. They are doing the work and, you know, it, it's all on them. And so at the end of, you know, when they start to believe it or, or when they start to own that, it's because of the work that they did, not somebody else. So that must be incredibly empowering. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and when I'm teaching this strategy to them, 
I'm telling them this is one of the most strat important strategies of your life because once you've finished with this first thing that we're dealing with, you just move on to the next one. And you go through your whole life and fix all the things about yourself that you don't like and that you don't appreciate that, that the way you think or, um, or whatever viewpoints. I said, you can go through them one by one for the rest of your life, whether I'm here or not, and do the same thing and begin to think the way you want to think and believe the things that you want to believe through the same strategy or process. So I'm, I'm walking them through the process, but letting them know that this is not just a one-time thing you and I are doing. This is just a way of living. And once again, that's back to um, social emotional learning. That's that's training them that there are strategies to become a better person. There are strategies to deal with the pain and the suffering that they're going through at home. Because in my mind, I'm always thinking about uh, I sort of have like an avatar, you know, of a person in my mind um, that I don't know what's going on at home. But in my mind, if they're getting beat every single night, if they're getting molested every single night, if they're crying themselves to sleep every single night. I'm like, what can I do that would begin to, to protect them from that as best as possible, or if not protect them, at least get them through it. And so, um, so that's one of the strategies that I shared with them. Well, and Kim and I say that all the time too, that we don't know what these students are going through. Life would be easier if we could all wear a button that tells what our story is. <laughs> If we had that button, then we would be a whole lot kinder to each other. So we have to live in that place of kindness and empathy and compassion for these students because we don't know what their home life is like. Absolutely. So Joseph, I'm, I'm, so I'm taking notes and, and I'm putting it in, a, in, in, in my mind. So we expose these students to things that are possible. Uh, that's Absolutely. one thing that, that we as educators can do. Uh, and then we we affirm them and and help them begin to um, see themselves in in uh, in a different light to speak hope and 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 positive thoughts. So we kind of lead them into that exercise. And then you talked about also kind of teaching them strategies that if they don't like something about themselves that they have, you're empowering them that they, they can fix those things. It's not going to happen today. This is a process that's going to take some time and they can continue to do that. So is there, are there any other, I don't want to miss any steps that these are so good. These three things that I have written down Do you, what, what, is there anything else in that line of thought? Well, yes, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll add something to, uh, when you're sharing with them strategies um, and when you're talking to them about um, about belief, that whole that whole process there, um, it's important. And, and that's just a part of establishing trust in general. Just one of the things when, when you're trying to establish trust, because for me, trust is the currency that relationships are built on. And so, you know, you don't you don't go into the, you don't go into the store and, and try to negotiate, uh, you know, what you want to purchase. You have to have a currency you know, to be able to get that. And so I, I believe that's what trust is in, in, in these relationships we're trying to develop. And so one of the major pieces of trust that I um, use and that I suggest is vulnerability. And that is uh, sharing about yourself, but not too much, but sharing about yourself. And so sharing your story, sharing uh, what you've done. And then once you've shared your particular story and found pieces in life when you've overcome. Let's say your life was amazing. So first of all, some people say, well, I don't have a story. You know, I grew up in an upper upper class family and 
mom and dad were home the whole time and I don't, but there were things in your life that you had to overcome. Maybe it was you were terrible at playing the flute and, and you wanted to play the flute and you wanted to make the band, but they cut you the first year and you didn't make it because you were terrible and you went home and practiced for a whole year and then boom, you got it. Uh, any sort of story like that is where you can say, hey, there, this is a situation that someone worked on something until they overcame it. So that's one of the things. But then be vulnerable like I will share specific instances in my life when I use the strategy to help overcome something I was dealing with. Um, the current one I talk about now is um, because of the trauma in my past, my, um, I, I learned through my wife after 15 years of marriage, okay, that I did not trust one single human soul. And I didn't know that. Um, I thought I trusted some people, um, but um, through a series of, I call it like it is, arguments, um, my wife really exposed me and said, no, you don't, you don't trust me. And so that was when I said, when she, when she said, you don't trust me, I was thinking, of course I trust you. And then when I thought about my responses to her, my interactions, I was like, wow, I don't trust her. I said, okay, now if I don't trust my wife, who is the sweetest, kindest uh, person I know, I said, wow, I don't trust anybody. And of course, as counselors, you and your listeners already know, with the kind of trauma that I experienced, you begin to lose trust in your parents. And when you lose trust in your parents, you're figuring if the people who brought me in this world, I can't trust, then that sort of marks everybody else off the list. But that's not a conscious thought you have. You do not say, okay, don't trust anyone now. It's just something that you do for survival. And so for 15 years of my marriage, I didn't trust my wife. But when I found that out, I said, this is going to change our relationship if I can overcome this. And that was when I used the strategy that I teach them. So I'm here now telling them, telling them the faults of my own life, telling them the struggles that I go through, telling them that I'm not perfect and that the person that you see here sitting in front of you didn't just, wasn't born like this, but I was able to get here through fighting and through struggling and through developing. And then when I show them and talk them through that process, they then start to, it gives them even more hope and belief that, okay, okay, I can then do this as well because he's not just telling, throwing things at me. This is something he actually lived out and he had problems just like I have problems and he still has problems that he's using this to try to work through. So being vulnerable with them and letting them know I have struggles currently and did have struggles and, and you can overcome them like I did. That is, that is great. That, that's a great point. Another point to add of uh, rubber meets the road ideas that we can do. And, and I, I have shared and, and thinking back, um, especially with my middle school and high schoolers, real <laughs> stories that um, people relate to that. And, <laughs> and that, you know, um, my dad was raised uh, somewhat like you were, and um, he can still, he still cries if he talks about that to this day. Mm -hmm. So I grew up mm -hmm. with his story, and even in sharing his story, I can just sense the room change because so many can mm -hmm. relate to that. Mm -hmm. And um, I have a, a son who has significant disabilities, and when I share my heart about that with other students, when we're talking about bullying or mm -hmm. they, you're right, um, at that vulnerability people can connect to. Yes, yes. We don't recognize how we look. We see our faults and we think about our, you know, our situation. They're thinking, you have a job where you are put in front of 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 kids a day, 
you, you've made it. Like you, you're amazing. You're flawless. They hired you here at this school. Everybody in the community knows you. You're an amazing human being. You can't have any flaws. You don't see, I don't see you having any flaws here at school. You just seem like you're perfect and all your paperwork's in order and everything is, is just amazing. And so for them to recognize like, oh, you're just like me. Oh, so I can be like you is what that begins to, 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 to show them. Oh, that means we both have faults. So that means I can, I can one day be you possibly or, or better. Um, it's funny <laughs> over the years how many, <laughs> when you really connect with kids, they think that, okay, the way, <laughs> the way I really can uh, give back is to be exactly what you are. And I've had several kids of mine um, who were, um, their aptitude was not in the area of math. <laughs> okay. Uh, but they're like, after having my class, I'm going to be a math teacher. I'm going to be a math teacher. <laughs> and I'm like, you're an amazing artist. You're an amazing uh, writer. You're an amazing. You, you should probably go on that path. But because of the connection that we had, man, all they see is, is being me. Because see, I, 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 mm. I made it vulnerable. I made them believe that, oh, if he made it through that, well, then I can do that too. And then they connect themselves to that. And I try to guide them to something that probably be, uh, they'll enjoy more because they probably don't even like math. But it just shows that um, exposing that vulnerability can really uh, help them believe they can achieve where, where you are and hopefully great. And that's the greatest compliment that a student can give us as an educator <laughs> is that they want to be like us. And that's a great responsibility and we need to take that uh, very seriously because eyes are on us and we just have this short span of time. And Laura mm. and I both see our job as a ministry and we have a short amount of time to make a huge impact on these students. And this mm -hmm. tips you're getting us is just helping me refocus. And, mm -hmm. and it, it's just inspiring. You are inspirational, Joseph. I am inspired <laughs> now to change some things up and to really look at some things that I'm doing in my counseling program. Well, I'm glad I can help. I, I have my goal, um, okay, my short-term goal is to, to reach and when I say reach, I don't mean just speak to once, because once again, I don't believe that speaking to people one time is going to make a, a lasting change. I believe you speak to a group of people, 100 people, maybe one or two, it may impose lasting change, but it's got to be over the course of a few weeks or so. So I'm, I'm beginning to put together a course that I want to do, and I, I hope it will be free. Um, but my goal is to have to be able to work with 100,000 teachers. Um, and, and, and walk them through some of the strategies and some of the things that I try and some of the things that I use and that, that have been successful with me. And the reason my, I hope to do 100,000 is because in my mind, if I can have 100,000 teachers and counselors and principals dedicate themselves, each of them, to just one student a year, that I'm going to connect myself in a great way to at least one student, then now I have just set up the opportunity for 100,000 students per year that that teacher or counselor or administrator is, is still has that job, 100,000 students per year can be changed and can be at least started in the process. And so that's my short-term goal now is for 100,000 uh, teachers to be connected with each other and, and working together as a team that each of us will at least try to connect with one and help change that one the year that that we have them. And to me, 100,000 a year is, a, is starting to be a significant number. You know, once you, especially if you think about it year after year after year. And that's not to even speak of if 
most of the teachers in that 100,000 are able to help two students or three students that year. Now the number begins to really, really have an impact on our entire country. And so that's really something I hope to do because I, I feel for the kids that were in my situation. And my situation wasn't even anywhere near the worst. As counselors, you know, there are situations far worse uh, than, than the things that I went through. And, and I know how it felt for me. So that's a part of my uh, short-term goals. That's just incredible. Kim, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. I think we need to um, get a blog guest going. I'm just seeing all this. I want to look at this again. It's yeah. just some amazing stuff. Joseph, we find ourselves in a very, um, a very volatile situation right now. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, I think every student that we will see coming back in this next school year will have experienced some form of trauma. You cannot mm -hmm. as a child, and I've tried to put myself in the place of what a child's eyes and looking through what they must be seeing on television uh, with, 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 we, of course, the trauma of just school ending without any goodbyes, just, to, just we're ending mm -hmm. with this virus that's hanging over us. And, and then uh, the, the, this other virus, if you will, that has come this, this, racial tensions and uh, the volatileness that we see. Joseph, what can we do that as counselors that are, that, from your standpoint, to help students as they come back to school? Um, you know, for me, the, the unexpected school closure and COVID and all that has just put so much uh, turmoil and um, fear and 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 not knowing what's going to happen next. Uh, I think that one of the things we can do is is just sort of provide normalcy. Just just try to say, okay, how quickly can we get back to a routine, so that they feel like at least I know what tomorrow's going to look like. Um, you know, even as adults, we're all like waiting on to hear from the governor next and say, what is she going to tell us? Um, is the next stage for what we're going to do. Um, where will we be able to go? How many people can congregate together? So even as adults, it's not quite clear um, right now. But for them, their, their worlds have been turned upside down. And so I think as soon as possible, how can we establish routine and normalcy and back to the things that we do all the time? Um, if you've ever watched a comedian set, comedians often tell a joke in the middle or near the beginning of their set. And then maybe a couple of times throughout their set, they will sort of refer back to that joke. Um, I think that's because it's comfortable. It's something that we're used to. It's something that, that, that relaxes. It's something like, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. It gets you sort of in the groove. It, it keeps, you, keeps you engaged. And I think that when, when they don't know what the next day is gonna bring, and for some of them, you know, how much food that's going to bring, and for some of them, uh, how much safety that's going to bring. I think providing as much of that as possible for them is, is the goal, just to get them settled and say, this is what the next few days are going to look like. So I think that would be one of the first stages. And, and then racially, uh, <laughs> I think that 
some of the things that we can do as counselors and educators is educate ourselves. Um, I think that one of the people that I always recommend is uh, Jane Elliott. I especially recommend Jane Elliott to um, educators because she's a former educator. Um, she's um, been, oh, I don't even know how long now, maybe 20 or 30 years now, but she started off as a first grade teacher and she said that the, um, the killing of, of Martin Luther King, the assassination of Martin Luther King really started something in her. And she now goes around talking about um, educating about equality. And she has this, uh, she's been on Oprah, she's been on all the talk shows, at least of, of that time. Um, and she really brings out some good points that even I learned some things about understanding what it feels like to, um, to have pressure from outside forces that don't make you feel like you are as good as everyone else. And there are little subtleties, it doesn't have to be done out loud, but there are little subtleties that happen sometimes. And I think that looking at some of her work and looking at some of her social experiments and listening to some of her uh, narrative will help a lot of us get on the same page as to uh, why some people don't understand other people and, and, and why, and what it feels like to be um, a minority. She's not a minority, but she found a way to sort of express that. And so um, that's one person that I, I share. And I think as a lot of people have began to do, uh, looking up, Googling things to try and figure out what are viewpoints from both sides um, of the story so that we can be um, uh, more informed. And I think uh, one of the ways we can do that is through our students too. I think we can actually talk to them about them and ask them uh, what are things that you would want me to understand about you and about your, your walk and your story um, or your, you know, how things have been for you or ask them, have you, do you feel like you have been racially profiled? Like talk to people about them or do you feel like um, people around you are like that? So those are just a couple suggestions. Uh, that we can do. I can't hear you. All the time. My little boy's making noises back here. So I mute myself. I think um, what I'm hearing is educate, educate ourselves and through um, information that comes like from folks like Jane Elliott and others uh, and to um, be informed. And, and I love the idea of talking to the students and, and getting their perspective in their side. I love that too, listening, just listening. And that's what counselors are good at is listening. And there's power in people's story and people like to tell their story. And the other thing that my mind goes to is, um, I think it was Sandy Austin in our podcast episode with her about uh, the tragedy of Columbine. She mm -hmm. said that the students wanted to be part of the solution or that it meant more when the students were part of the solution. And mm -hmm. so what I'm hearing you say is, you know, talk to the students, let them tell their story. And then I'm thinking, let's let them guide the solution. So. Absolutely. I love that. I love it. You're making my wheels turn. Mine too. <laughs> I'm just thinking about empathy and yeah. how 
Um, that is such a, um, where I teach Joseph, it, it is very little minority. And so it's always been important to me to educate because the only experience we know is the one we've had. And mm -hmm, I guess mm -hmm, I've got mm -hmm. enough age on me to know, you know, that there are uh, different, all different kinds of people and they have their own stories and they bring, but you only know what you know. And, yeah. and I think that it's important for us uh, to, uh, to develop empathy skills and to stretch that, that out with students and to, but that's always been important to me is, is just because we, we're uh, very little, very, very little minority in our school. Um, mm -hmm. We need to be able to, to learn about those because they're going to grow up and go into a world, I hope where they're working and, and they're uh, empathetic and, and, and kind people and uh, are successful in, in this great big world instead of this little, and it goes back to what you were saying, Joseph, mm -hmm. so many of my students only see themselves right here in this little community. Yeah, that's right. And, and when you see bigger, you know, that's a skill you need to have. We need to, we need to get along with all people and we need to be able right. to empathize. And a lot of that comes with our training that we're going to do for these students, what we're going to put into them, what we're going to teach mm -hmm. them, educate them. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, there are in 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 the African-American community and especially in some of the lower income housing and and the projects uh, what we call them. Um, there will be times when people haven't gone more than two miles from uh, their community in years in years and and have never left the city ever. Mm. Um, I, I, I recall some people that I was working with at the Boys and Girls Club here in, in town, and, and he was telling me how when he took some young, um, oh, he has this beautiful program where he has now, um, he has a horse program where he introduces the kids to horses and takes them out and teaches them how to ride and, and everything. These are just in, um, some inner city um, young people here in, uh, in Huntsville. And so I was volunteering with that, I think, a summer ago. And um, it's a be beautiful program. And he was telling me the first few times he took some of his students out, he took them. They had never driven over a bridge before. Oh, wow. Oh. Wow. Yeah. And they were we 12. forget that. We forget, we that. forget that. Exactly what I'm saying. Exactly and what, what I'm saying. is I think an issue with a lot of educators because we are in a box and yes. we can't imagine these lives that these students have at home because that's it's it may not be how we grew up or mm -hmm. it may not be how we're raising our children so we forget when they don't bring their homework in that they did survive the night and so homework was not a priority for them because no. surviving was a priority and we can't imagine sometimes what they're experiencing mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. good to have those reminders Laura, one of the things that I am going to take and do from this, which is uh, so much, so much, Joseph, yeah. uh, but I, I'm thinking about that developing that student avatar. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I, I'm going to, I'm That's actually cool. going to take that. And so, Joseph, you might be getting a call from me, but I, I want to develop <laughs> this idea for a teacher training. Yes. And I want to take time at that when I have my, you know, training with teachers. And mm -hmm. I want to take time and, and have a, have those teachers create an avatar That's and, good. and That's right. that, and think about, because we have no clue. I mean, we, we mm -hmm. may have some inclinations, but we really mm -hmm. do not know what some of these kids are. So we've got to assume 
that um, we've got to take care of those social emotional needs because we don't we don't know what they've come through. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Teach, teach to the worst situation, uh, so that everybody's so well covered. Said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Joseph, tell us what a why box is. Okay. So I think for educators, it's uh, immensely important that we remember why we've done it. We've talked about some of the tools that I use um, internally, like mentally, to remember why. But we forget how much impact we have had over time. And when we get frustrated because somebody was complaining, I'm not going to call any names, admin, about our lesson plans or lack thereof, or when a parent emails us every day for three weeks over something silly, or when, um, you know, or when we get our paycheck (laughs) and uh, we hear about our friends who have uh, regular jobs who are going traveling all around the world. When those times happen, you need something to remind you why you did it. And so I believe that every educator should collect all of the notes, all of the cards, all of the uh, emails, you can print them out and put them in what I call a Y box or a Y folder. And every time something like that happens, you just go to your Y folder or your Y box and go through that again and be like, oh, yes, I remember. I re-. And then as you're reading through each one, it, w- it won't take very many at all. But when you read through those things again, you'll be like, this is why I'm here. I don't care about what you said. I don't care about, you know, your 50 emails from the parents. I'm here for, for, for this reaction, for this, for this moment here. So God. Uh, I'm throwing my pen. Kim, you know what? <laughs> I'm, I'm, throw, I'm turning the desk over. I'm more excited than you. I'm turning my desk over. I so want to get you to come and speak at my school, Joseph. We've got to make that to happen. It. I'd be happy to do it. I, I'm, t- I'm just, I, I am just loving all of this, and I know that, that other educators would too. I hope so. Where can people find you if, if like Kim, they want to uh, bring you to their school? Where can they find you? I am Joseph Roberts HQ, as in headquarters, everywhere. Um, Twitter, Facebook, um, Instagram, and my website is josephrobertshq.com. Okay. So that's how you can find me. And we will link to that in our show notes, too. Okay. And I, I, I want to say too, that, um, you don't have to wait until I come. I, hopefully that'd be great. I'd love to come and, 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 and talk and partner is what I think it is a partnership. I'd love to come and partner with whatever schools and whatever teachers. Um, but in the meantime, please message me, um, and ask me questions or we can shoot things back and forth. My goal is to, is to help as many educators as possible. Uh, to be blunt, I don't really care much about the educator. <laughs> I care about the people that you're influencing. I care about the, the wow. young people, the kids. And so I'm happy to help you because of what you're doing. And so um, so just message me, just Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever you find me um, or email me. And I'm happy to help you to try to talk through things, to try and uh, do whatever I can uh, uh, until we can do something further. I'm looking forward to this partnership. Uh, because I, w- I have discovered the World Wide Web. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have discovered 
learned that I can do these things. So I must be driving you crazy. Um, Joseph, is there anything else on your heart or your mind? You know, as we say, are all hearts and minds clear? So is there anything else that's on your heart or mind today that you want to share? Um, no, no, I think the last thing I want to reiterate is just, um, is, um, doing our research, um, for those, you know, I, I, I especially have a heart, especially now, you know, and, and the racial tension we have going on is, is I think doing research in that area is going to really be beneficial. I guess I, I, I think of it as, um, my mother, um, uh, got cancer and, um, she, is a cancer survivor. She's still with us to this day. I'm so glad about that. Um, it happened before I had any kids and now my kids are 13 and 10. And, and so that's, that's amazing. She's gotten to be able to know them. But when someone in your family gets sick or gets cancer, you don't, you don't just sit there and take it. You do whatever it takes to find out what you can find out about what help they can, you get them. You call everybody you know, you Google everything you can Google, you buy every book you can buy because you are desperate to try and save that person. And you hope that there is one thing that you may learn from somebody you call, one thing you may learn from something you Google that will help you save that person or you know do something more for that person. And pretty soon, the more you do it, you, you become very well versed in cancer or very well versed in uh, in alzheimer's or whatever it is that one of your family members or that you may be struggling with and going through and i would love to see people who care for their students put that energy and that time into learning about um african-american communities and cultures and about being empathetic um in ways that i understand are challenging if you have not come up in it um, to understand. And so I, I'd like to challenge um, your listeners to to do the research and the work. And as we talked about, talk with the students and let them tell their story too, so that I, I believe that every teacher has a heart for young people. And I want the young people that are, are, are in your classrooms and in your schools to feel that. And so I, I think that's one way if we're educated, I think then we'll know best how to help each of your students feel the love that I know that you want to 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 transpire to them. Well, that was my tear moment. That For literally real. brought tears to my eyes because it was it was I just so eloquently spoken, and in, in, in a way I, that we can understand. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I had already thrown my pen. I've got nothing else to throw, but. <laughs> I'm breaking a window. I'm throwing this. I'm, th I'm throwing my notes. It's so good. So much. So much information. So good. Well, Joseph, thank you so much for coming on. You have just expanded our minds so much to where our students are going to benefit from this talk that we've had from, with you today. And I know that our listeners were probably, they're probably taking notes feverishly too. And this is one that I'm going to want to go back and visit over and over again, because I feel like this is one of those episodes that no matter how many times I listen to it, I'm going to get a pearl of wisdom from it every time I listen. And so mm. I just can't thank you enough for this gift that you have given us today of being with us. Well, I'm, I am honored to have been here. Uh, you guys sharing your platform with me and give me an opportunity to to share my story and to possibly um, help 
more children be helped. Because I know that's why we're all here. The fact that you guys went the extra mile and, and created a podcast so that more people can be exposed to authors and to people, that, that's because you have a heart for young people as well. And you want the counselors out there um, to, to be exposed to much information as they can so that they can be better at their job, once again, as the end result of helping young people. And, and I applaud that and appreciate it and, uh, and, and glad we were able to, uh, to come together and make this happen. Thank you, Joseph. I'm glad to know that I, I, now that you two are friends and now you've allowed me to come in and be a friend with you guys. So maybe not. Yeah, I don't know. Well, he'll, you know, have oh. to talk about it. I don't know. Well, I, I misread that. I misread that whole thing. This is, I'm not in, I'm not, I'm going to be a part of the friendship. Okay. okay. It looks good. We talk about it. I mean, conditions are right for you to be our friend, but I don't know. I just don't feel comfortable. I can't see his face. If I could read his, his facial cues right now, I would know, but. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. Thank you, Joseph. Thank you.